So I'll just begin by saying that um, a year ago, we offered a, our annual Memorial Day uh, five-day retreat. We've been doing this every year for many years. And last year, it was at the Insight Retreat Center. And um, on the first talk that I offered, I made a dedication to Hugh Gill, who had died a year earlier. Nancy, his wife, was there at the retreat and um, wanted just to uh, dedicate uh, the talk to Hugh. That was a year ago. Nancy was at that retreat. And now a year later, today, I offered um, help facilitate Nancy's memorial service. The age of 89. She lived... um, a well-lived life. It didn't, of course, not have pain in it. Of course there was pain. But tonight I want to dedicate this talk to Nancy Gill, or her Buddhist name, Metapanya, heart of loving kindness and wisdom. She probably wouldn't have suspected a year ago that a year from now I would be honoring her in her memorial. It's interesting just the position. And so I'll speak a little bit about Nancy because um, not only did I love her and she's my Dharma godmother, <laughs> um, her life really serves as a, a wonderful example of a life well lived, and as a dear friend of mine, uh, Saki says, when he dies, he wants to be all completely used up. <laughs> and I think, like Nancy, she used up every ounce of her body to live fully. So it's a great inspiration. Today was sad, but it also was joyous. I met Nancy. Um, in 2007, in a mindfulness-based stress reduction class, and she's having some anxiety and some pain, and it turns out I had helped her uh, granddaughter, who had a, a phobia around getting hypodermic needles for blood tests, and so I worked with her, then it turned out that I worked with her daughter, she also took my class, and when Nancy was feeling some anxiety, uh, they said, hey, go, go see Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Nancy took this class in the summer of 2007, and when it was done, she said, well, what else can I do? I'm really liking this meditation. So we offered day-long sessions, and so she started coming to these day-long sessions at the hospital, and then she'd come up to me and say, well, well, what else can I do? Well, we got this meditation center. You could start coming here and start coming to the meditation center. She deeply, deeply dove into the Dharma. I mean dove. She made the Dharma practice her whole entire life. And um, Nancy was, sometimes we talk about metta, loving kindness. Now this may not be true for all of you, but sometimes it's an expression about metta as a translation is that it's like grandmotherly love. And Nancy was really an embodiment of grandmotherly love. 
And people talked with her about it, and she has some some ways of living. Like she treated every person as if they were really special. That, that's amazing. I aspire to do that, and I can only see so many of the times that I don't do that. So a very great inspiration to me, this quality of reverence with each person. So many people loved her, because she just loved. Each person felt special in her presence. It's kind of amazing. This is an embodiment of a well-lived life. And not that she didn't have pain. She had betrayal in her life, big betrayal. Part of the reason of coming and practicing was to forgive. And I know that she died with her heart fully forgiven. She'd shared with me some time earlier, of course, uh, all of her pain and resentment was gone. She'd forgiven everyone. I think that's like a PhD in living. <laughs> you can be on your deathbed and having forgiven everyone and made peace with yourself and consider everyone to be special. That is amazing. <laughs> if not saintly. Now she admits she's not a saint, but she was alive. And alive she was. Another person described her even in her her retirement years, and she worked as a nurse at Watsonville Hospital in the emergency room. She's seen a lot of stuff. There's actually a very powerful story of a, a nurse that came from Watsonville Hospital, and she was telling a story of she and Nancy were working with a gentleman that had come in with a stab wound to the abdomen, and this person, of course, was scared. Very scared. And he was also a little bit unruly, and this was kind of a scary situation even to encounter and to be with this type of person. This person knew that this was very serious, and somehow Nancy just kind of wiggled her way in. She was telling the story, wiggled her way in, and went and held his hand, and he began to soften. And in those days, she belonged to St. Andrew's Church, and she always had this bead around her and, and there was a little thing there that said, try God. <laughs> and so she was holding this guy's hand and and she and he's just looking up at her and she just points to the necklace. <laughs> and, and, he, and he later died. He later died. An angel of mercy came to him in his last time of his life. When I met Nancy, again, like she just got into the Dharma, then she heard about this 32 parts of the body class. I'm taking it, Bob. <laughs> well, she not only took it once, but she took it five or more times. And this class is not just any class. It goes for eight months, 33 weeks, meeting once a week, reciting body parts. For those of you who don't know, here's the list. Head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, Flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestine, small intestine, stomach, feces, brain, bio-phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, and urine. It's quite a list. I won't go into explaining why these parts 
and why this order, but what I can say very briefly is that this is the doorway, the entranceway into all of the parts, all of our life. Our history is here, inside our body. The Buddha spoke in the Samyutta Nikaya that within this fathom-long body, with the thoughts and emotions, lies our world, its origin, its cessation, its pathway to nibbana, to freedom, to awakening, is found within this fathom-long body. Nancy, as a nurse, and also there was this edge, she was getting older and she really wanted to work with her reconciliation around dying. So she dove into the body practices and every year, for many years, I do a day long on the mindfulness of death and she'd always be there. Actually, any class that I taught, Nancy was always there. And last Saturday, <laughs> last Saturday, I felt a huge loss and absence. I taught a day long at Dominican Hospital and just the day long before, which was a few months ago, Nancy was there. She's always, I always sit next to her and I look and she's not there. You really caught me. Part of the 32 parts of the body class is that I, through the very good fortune, made a connection with the anatomy professor at Cabrillo College, and so once a year we go on a field trip to the anatomy lab. <laughs> Done this for many years. And uh, while at the anatomy lab, we have the cadavers, dead bodies, and cut up into different dissections, and we actually can put on our gloves and handle these parts and brains in our hands and all types of stuff. And Nancy just right in there. <laughs> and that was where Nancy had this inspiration. She decided that she was going to donate her body to science. We used to joke with her, say, Nancy, you know you're going to donate your body to science, but I don't want to see a Cabrillo anatomy lab. <laughs> Robin, the anatomy professor, said, that's right, we don't want to see here, so who knows. But like, like even in her dying act, it wasn't thinking of herself. When I think of it, well, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to have the, the worms eat me, but giving my body to science, having them cut it open. I'll have to <coughs> sit with that more. <laughs> but like it's an act, what an act of generosity. An unbelievable act. Even this body, after I'm gone, I'm going to give it to you. And maybe you'll learn something that will help the world. What amazing. Amazing. Her family's pretty freaked out. You know, here's this old lady going to St. Andrews and now she's going to this Buddhist thing and she's going to anatomy labs and then wants to donate her body to science. Like, but her family really supported her in the end amazingly. Nancy had um, what she called her bucket list. And uh, getting close to her dying, she had two things left on it. One was, probably the most important, was that she wanted to ordain as a nun before she died. And 
we had talked about this for some years, but she had a, a husband, and then her health got bad, you know, so good to, so there was a lot, it wasn't happening, but. Just pause for a moment. <laughs> so it wasn't really, you know, it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, but then, like, and the most amazing, it takes a village miracle arose in the few weeks before she passed on of coming together with people. There was a, a nun, a bakuni, a monk, a female monk, a bakuni that lived in Santa Rosa, and she agreed that she would ordain her as a nun, an eight-precept nun. So we had to get some robes. So then all of a sudden, people are throwing money, and here's the money for the robes. Then we needed somebody to sew the robes together. I got a sewing machine. I'll sew the robes. We need to go pick up this nun in Santa, the, the bakuni in Santa Rosa. I'll drive up to Santa Rosa from Santa Cruz to pick her up. We need to find a place to have her stay. I'll volunteer my house to stay. We need somebody to feed her because she's a, a nun, a monk, and, and she can't get food for herself. I will donate some food to her. We need someone afterwards to drive her back to Santa Rosa to go home. I will drive her back to Santa Cruz. I mean, someone volunteered. Like, it was an amazing confluence of people that made this happen in days. It was unbelievable. And so on May 11th, which was actually uh, the day of the celebration of their uh, Buddhist ha- um, the Wisak, the Ayatiloka, the, the Kuni, left the monastery, got picked up and came to Santa Cruz. And um, she ordained Nancy, gave her the name Metapanya. This is a little preview for a few days, but when you go on the Insight Santa Cruz Facebook website, you'll see her in robes. Put it on earlier today, and she's got her hand down. It's the Earth Mudra. It's quite amazing picture of her with her shaved head and robes. And interesting with the and her family, her daughters came together. This is what Nancy wants. We want to support it. One of the daughters says. I was a hairdresser, so she, she actually shaved her mom's head. <laughs> Left just a little tussle at the top, and then when the nun, the bakuni came, she just shaved that last piece off. And Nancy, or Metapanya's daughters, were so incredibly touched. And so, she became ordained, and um, the next day she passed on. She was ordained on the 11th of May and died on May 12th. And her last wish of the bucket list that her daughter told me was she was wanting to get up to San Francisco and well, it turns out UCSF picked her up because she was going to be So she got to go to San Francisco. <laughs> Sometimes it just works out. <laughs> Nancy loved this poem. She always wanted me to read this to her. She always loved this poem. It's called Otherwise. 
I got out, it's by Jane Kenyon. I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. And I ate cereal and a sweet milk and a ripe flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. And I took the dog uphill to the birchwood and all morning I did the work that I love and at noon I lied down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. And I slept in the bed in a room with paintings on the wall and I planned another day just like this day but one day I know it will be otherwise. One day I know it will be otherwise. Hmm. So on March 5th, I was in France and she sent me an email. She said, Dear Bob, I'm undergoing tests right now and I'll keep you posted. That was at 10.42 a.m. At 12.45 p.m., just a couple hours later, Bob, I've got the results of some tests, an ultrasound, blood work, inflammation in the liver. I'll keep you posted. October 27th, I mean, sorry, March 27th, a few weeks later, palliative care came to my home today. The suggestion is I should go into hospice right now. April 3rd, I'm writing to Nancy, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, the refuge. Please rest with this as much as you can, day and night. It'll bring you light into the darkness, love that dissolves all fear. Opening the heart into love, without resistance, without grasping. And she writes back to me, thank you, Bob, for your good wishes, the love you're sending, and the Buddha reminders is where I am, trusting in the Dharma. The Dharma is my heart, in my body and in my soul. I love you dearly. You're my guide and teacher, my very precious friend, Nancy. Nancy told me last time I saw her, she said to me, dying is going to be a big adventure. It's pretty cool. On her deathbed. It's going to be an adventure. One time, I told Nancy this story a number of times. I know some of you have heard this, but um, I had the good fortune to have a very beloved meditation teacher, Lainduxero from Burma, who was my teacher for 25 years. And the very last time I saw him was when I visited his forest monastery in Burma. And um, I was leaving the next day to go back to San Francisco, and I didn't know whether I would ever see him again, and as it turns out, I never did see him again. He was in his early 90s then. He did live up to the age of 98. But I had one more question for him, and so I prepared to ask him this question this night before I was leaving, and I said to the Seattle, 
you know, you're in your early 90s and, you know, you're already over the normal average human life expectancy span and you've been a monk for 70 plus years. What, what are you going to do when death comes knocking at your door? He's a, he's a meditator. He's been a forest monk, a meditator all these years. And, and Cero is a very simple and quiet and humble and truly one of the most contented human beings I ever had a chance to be with. And I lived with him for eight years, so I had a chance to check this out. And sometimes sitting with him, massaging his feet, I would just listen to him breathe and I'd be transported to these deep forest winds. He was touched deeply with the Dharma. And though Seto um, wasn't charismatic. As a matter of fact, if you're in a room and there's a chair and a lamp and other things, you might notice those things before you notice the Seattle. <laughs> he had kind of the opposite. Rather than energy going into him, there was just like, there was like no one there. And it was uncanny. You kind of just didn't notice him. And so it's like, who is this guy? There's like, just so contained, so content. So I asked Yaro on this last night, so what are you going to do when death comes knocking at your door? And he looked at me for quite a period of time, and I could see his cheeks starting to go up and down, which living with him a long time, he knew he was going to say something, and it might not be that pleasant. (laughs) 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 And he turned to me and said, Bob, are you scared to die? And then I like, I didn't ask him that question. I was asking what he was going to do, and he's asking me about when I'm going to die. Like, wait a minute. And he looked at me and saw my reaction, and he said, you need to meditate more. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yero. And he's right. So I paused and sat with that for a while and got my balance back again. And then again, I asked the Seattle, Seattle, please tell me, what, what are you going to do when death comes knocking on your door? And again, he just looked at me for a really long time. And then he paused and then he said something to me that I'll never forget. And I've told Nancy, I've told a number of you here. I don't think that we can ever hear this enough of what he said. So what he said was that if I see something, I'll be mindful of seeing. If I hear something, I'll be mindful of hearing. If I feel something, I'll be mindful of bodily sensations. He went through the senses. If these mind states are arising, I'll be mindful of these mind states. This is how I'll die. This is how I want you to die with awareness. I thought that was like the most incredible gift that I received that I want to pass on to be there for it. And I feel, Nancy, that's it's going to be an adventure. She wanted to be there, to experience it, to see it, to open to it. Even once, some years later, I told my 100-year-old grandmother about Seattle. And about dying with awareness, she said, you know, he's pretty wise, Bobby. 
It's a hundred-year-old Jewish grandma from Russia, for crying out loud, and she knew that was a good idea. To die with awareness. To die present. So to Aya Metta Panya, the motherly love of Nancy, thank you so much for being in our life. And very interesting to say that um, she died nearly on the full moon of May, which is the thrice blessed day of the, the Buddha's birth, enlightenment, and death. So, you know, last week when I saw that full moon, it was like, I just saw like her big face, it just filled the whole moon with her love. They're very auspicious from the Buddhist point of view of uh, dying on the, near on the full moon of May, but most important, her kindness. Nancy had kindness. Today ended um, the memorial with this most beautiful poem called Kindness by Naomi Shiabnai, and I'll share with you now. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things and feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. And what you held in your hand and what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go. So you know how desolate the landscapes can be between the regions of kindness. And how you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop and the passengers eating corn and chicken, they'll stare out those windows forever. And before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where an Indian and a white poncho lies dead on the side of the road and you must see how this could be you. And how that he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness is the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. And you must wake up with sorrow. And you must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows. And you see the size of that cloth. And then it's only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at the bread. It's only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for. And then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. And then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. I think Nancy really knew that. That's why she treated everyone. So they were important. She knew so much about suffering and pain from her own life. And it's funny, and it just ended, it just rubbed her into, it was only kindness that made sense anymore. A life well lived. And I aspire to live this type of a life. This type of life is what the Buddha spoke about as far as the breaking free of the sense of self, of I. 
becoming generous. Developing those qualities, generosity, kindness, seeing deeply into the nature of things, perhaps not taking it so personally, the understanding, compassion, and sorrow. I was going to prepare a whole other talk with more that I was going to say, but this is just totally perfect as it is, so nothing more to be said as far as the other thing. You'll get that another time. But I do want to just um, just stay close to the heart here. I know um, some tenderness in this room. Some of you I know knew Nancy and some not, but I think they're also very touched with this life that was well-lived. Nancy dedicated her heart to the truth. So in the teachings of the Dharma, the greatest causes of suffering, the underlying cause is unawareness, not seeing clearly, ignorance, delusion that gives rise to the sense of grasping and clinging, aversion. My other wonderful teacher, Tampu Lucero, used to offer this very simple practice that maybe we'll end with tonight, where he accompanied with the mindfulness of breathing a contemplation. And he said that this practice is an excellent practice to die with. And I'll also add from my own experience that this practice also gives us a taste of what it's like momentarily to experience what it's like to be free, to have a moment of freedom in our hearts, perhaps a moment of what an awakened being would experience. And so just coming to the breath in and to the breath out. This is from Tumpu Lucero, beloved teacher. In Burmese, I feel like it's important just to name this in Burmese since this is how we frame this meditation. Raga kine, dotha kine, moha kine. A raga, a motha, a moha kine. What that means is, as we breathe in and breathe out, having this experience just in these few breaths, that in these moments, this contentment within is not any sense of wanting anything. And in this breath in and breath out, free of the wanting and contentment, And in the next few breaths, 
as you breathe in and breathe out, you experience that there's no aversion, anger, ill will, that is in awareness. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite has arisen of loving kindness. Just in these few breaths, without aversion, without hatred, sense of the breath in and out with loving kindness. And in the next few breaths, in and out, the experience of sparkling clarity. You know that you're breathing in as you're breathing in, and you're knowing you're breathing out as you're breathing out. There's no ignorance, no unawareness. Clarity of mind and heart. So these qualities with the breath in and the breath out, contented with loving kindness and clarity. This is the heart of one who is awake, one who is free. To live with, to die with, Coming into deep wisdom, this understanding, change, life. Being free of greed, hatred, and ignorance. Being completely filled with contentment, loving kindness, understanding, and clarity. These are the teachings of the Dharma. May all beings discover the gateways into their hearts and may they know peace. of the night. And just honoring your tender heart.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.